The Reality of Spiritual Abuse, coming up next right here on The Parker J. Cole Show. And welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Kathy Norville. She is the author of the book, Derailed. Derailed is a story, sort of, about toxic leadership in the church. And I can't wait to dig into this in just a few moments. One of the reasons why I want to talk about this particular topic is because so many people are disillusioned with church. They're disillusioned with God. They're disillusioned with the people of God and they're disillusioned with people who claim to be working in God's stead, but maybe actually working in the devil's stead. And we want to be able to give you words of life, encouragement, and practicality to make sure that you don't have to be a victim of spiritual abuse. Where does spiritual abuse come from? How do we actively participate in it, even if we're not aware of it? What can we do to help others pull back the veil on toxic leadership in the church? All that and more we're going to be discussing today in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on the pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And subscribe to our new YouTube channel. You get lots of great stuff there and click the notification button so you'll always be notified of a new episode. And without further ado, I'm going to bring Kathy Norville on board. Kathy, how you doing? Hi, Parker. I am doing good. I am doing good. And it is good to be back. So if persons are hearing this voice, I like to say I am Kathy, but I also write on the NRM role. I don't hide that. I don't hide that at all. And for those of you, we talked to N.R. Emerald, her other pen name here, on a couple of weeks ago on The Right Stuff. And she's also offering another aspect of herself, which is about being a people strategist, helping people be the best at who they are in Christ and in professional life as well. And I have you talk about that, Kathy. Go ahead and tell us what a people strategist does. Okay. So what I like to say in an organization, we like to say that people are greatest asset. At the end of the day, I ask, are we putting the necessary strategies, policies, and framework in place to ensure that we can leverage the knowledge, skills, and abilities of people or team members? Because I don't like to call them employees. I like to say them as team members so that they, at the end of the day, can help the organization go from one level to another level. and Ultimately, all of us share in the success of the organization. So as a people strategist, I work and support organizations to help them achieve their overall goals and objectives. So that's what I do in a nutshell. And also, I am an academic. I like to say I'm a people strategist first, and then I'm an academic. So I also lecture at a university, and I lecture in everything management-related, whether it's human resource management, compensation management, performance management, human resource development. Yes, so 
anything people-related, leadership-related, that's me. This translates well into the church because the church on earth is, in the natural, an organization of people. And you just said people are greatest asset and they're team members. And we all share in the success of the organization. Well, when you put the spiritual component into this, how can you let our listeners know that just in the natural world and the professional world, we have the same type of people in the spiritual world as well. You know, Parker, one of the things you said about the church, and I like to say that we have many concepts or many lenses in which we can see the church. We can see the church as the overall body of Christ. We can see the church as the physical church itself, or we can see the church as, and when I say physical church, I mean the building, or we could see the church as that common unit where we attend church, right? And then we have ourselves as we as the body, we as an individual being a temple of the living God, right? So when I'm thinking about church now, I'm going to be talking about church in terms of that denomination, that particular independent church that you might be attending. And ultimately, when we go into a church, there's no perfect church. I remember Noel Jones saying this, and I always laugh and I always come back to my mind. He says, if you want a perfect church, take everybody out and close the door when everybody's on the outside. That's the only time that that church is going to be perfect because as individuals, we come with our own issues, our own baggage, our own you know, all of those things. And we're coming into the church. And therefore, yes, we're bringing our insecurities. We're bringing our hurts. We're bringing our pains. We're bringing our disappointments. We're also bringing our skills, our abilities, all of those things. So when we come into the church, it's really and truly a mixing of people, personalities, everything. So when it comes to church, leadership is extremely important. Good. And one of the things that I want to say is that the same way as a child of God, when we are going to be doing anything, we should pray about it. We should also really and truly seek God's face in not only praying for our spouse, not only praying for the type of job, but also seek God's face to pray for where he wants us to fellowship. And I would admit that that's something that I did not do. Good. And sometimes we jump into things and then we don't ask God, we just jump. But that's one of the things I want anybody's listening really and truly because we say, oh, it's a church, it's a Pentecostal church, it's an apostolic church, it's, you know, it's okay. No, we need to also seek God to find out where he wants us to be planted in this particular season. And do he want us to be planted in a church? Do he want us to be planted in a cell group? Do he want us to be planted in a Bible study? So one of the things that when we think about leadership, there is many types of leaders. There are are charismatic leaders. There are compassionate leaders. There are narcissistic leaders. And when we are talking about spiritual abuse, we normally talk about leaders who are narcissistic. And I want to say where the genesis of this book came from. This was not some about the real toxic leadership in the pulpit. I never wrote a book before this. So this was not that. I was writing as N.R. Emerald and I decided to write this. I really felt provoked by the spirit of the living God to write this book. 
And when God spoke to me originally, Parker, I didn't move because I was so caught up doing all, all sorts of things besides doing what God had asked me to do. And the Holy Spirit really had to convict me. And writing the book was not difficult because God had already shown me the theory which he wanted me to hang the book on. And the theory is what we call the toxic triangle. And in the toxic triangle, it has three pillars. It has the leader, it has the environment, and then it has the followers. And it takes these three pillars to help form a toxic environment. And then there was one other element that God revealed to me. And that's at the middle of this toxic triangle. So if you pick up a book now about destructive leadership, you're going to see three elements. You're going to see the leader, you're going to see the follower, and you're going to see the environment. But one of the things that God showed me when it comes to the church, the body of Christ, in the middle is the ideology. Good. And when we think about ideology, we're thinking about the vision, we're thinking about the call. And for those persons, especially, you know, we are pulled to leaders who are very charismatic and they have these big visions and we buy into this vision. We buy into this call. You know, they say, my church is the best and God has planted us here to pray and intercede for the whole earth. And, and we are buying into this ideology. And somehow, whenever you start to have a leader that starts to make you think that your church is better than other churches, at the time, you're not thinking about it. You're thinking that you're special, that you're this called chosen people, and you can't even start to mix with these other people because there's this calling, this unique calling on this particular church. Those are signs that we need to start to pay attention to, right? Because if we are in the body of Christ, we have to recognize that God has called all of us and we have special giftings, you know, and there may be a church that may be very good at giving, they're very philotrans, I get this word tie up, but they're very good at giving and that's their call. And then there may be another church that may be good at intercession and that's their particular gifting, right? So as soon as we start to think that we are so unique over here that we are better than everybody else, then we start to have a problem. And that was one of the things that God started to show me. And I wrote about that in the book. Who says we're the best? Because that was one of the things that was coming out. Who says we're the best? You know, at the end of the day, let God be the one to determine and give us the glory, but not for us to be taking that glory for ourselves. So one of the things when we walk away from this podcast, I want persons to start to be reflective of the place they worship. And you may be in a healthy environment and continue to pray for your pastors and pray for your leaders. But there was one thing on page 54 and it spreads into page 55. And I really want to start there. And it was an article by Rick Thomas. And it says, Eight signs of spiritual abuse to see if this is happening to you. And it was number one that really hit me. And I can remember picking up my laptop and just Googling spiritual abuse. And, and I came across this article. And number one says, do you have to ask? And this is what it says. If you have to ask if your leader is spiritually abusive, this is the first sign. 
this should be explored with God and a trusted person. So the mere fact that I was Googling the fact of spiritual abuse meant that I already knew the signs. And it's like I was seeking confirmation. I was seeking something. And maybe a part of me didn't want to accept that I was in a toxic environment. And the reality is it was a church that I loved. It was a church that where we were was not where we started out when I joined. And that's why I called the book The Real Toxic Leadership in the Pulpit is that some way along the line, sometimes our leaders can become derailed. And as persons in the church, we have a responsibility to pray not only for our families and not only for our friends, but we also talk about praying for our leaders. But we also have to pray for those persons who have the leader's ears. We also have to pray for the person who have the leader's ears and who the leader is seeking to emulate because that leader really and truly should be seeking to emulate God and not persons um, in the natural. So it is extremely important to make sure that our leaders are seeking to emulate God who is speaking into their ears because that is extremely important. Yes, Parker, I know I said a mouthful there just now. Oh, you're fine. I was going to read from your book here. You say spiritual abuse is seen as a form of emotional and psychological abuse. It is characterized by a systematic pattern of coercive and controlling behavior in a religious context. And so you gave us a lot to chew on here and you really broke it down on how we're going to view this. And you use a denominational divide because ideology is important. There are certain people who believe certain things about scripture, doctrine, what have you. It didn't matter about that. It didn't matter about the ideology because this is what's bringing all these elements together. The leaders, the followers, the environment is the ideology in the center. And I think in this book, dear listener, as you go through it, you're going to see various diagrams and charts that are very handy for you to understand the aspects of spiritual abuse and how this thing gets derailed. I even like the term derailed. It reminds me of a train and you got all these cars on the train. You got this one engine that's pulling everyone on the train tracks to go to a particular destination. And then when it gets derailed, all the cars fall off. They all get off track. And it just lets you know just how important it is to have good leadership and to also have good followers. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in our podcast here. But I really want you to focus on the things that you did focus on and you gave us a lot of information. So I'm going to sum it up because as a people strategist, these are the elements that you bring together to make sure that all the team members of the organization are in healthy places and they're also in good places and they're using their gifts that God gave them. And so for the purposes of our discussion, we need to understand that we do want to follow our leaders, but we have to make sure, first of all, that the Lord put that leader there. If the Lord did put that leader there and they are getting derailed, we have to take initiative to confront that leader in some manner. And then if they're not doing that, we have to make a decision. So those are some of the things we're going to talk about here. Now, we talked about the eight signs of spiritual abuse, and you mentioned the first one, but the first one is actually the very most important one. Do you have to ask? If you have to ask, that means something 
is going on at that church that says something is wrong (laughs) and I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm just going to read some of the other signs of spiritual abuse here. Do you have to ask, does he or she delegate? This delegation part, I think, is extremely important because, as you say, abusive leaders micromanage everything. They want to make sure that you're not doing anything they don't want you to do. I want to jump in there before you continue to read the others, Parker, because I have here on page 25, and this book is written through the lens of three young ladies, Zaire, Cece, and Savannah. So you get a little taste of their eating out and they're reflecting on this experience. And, you know, it's so, it is interwoven and persons who have read this book say they just sat down and they read it one time and they took away a lot. But on page 25, listen, one of the characteristics of a destructive leader is the ability to be intentionally intimidating. It gives them the sense of power. And so here I'm talking about the fact that in this particular organization, you have something called moderating or what we call after worship. So after the worship team comes on, there was a set of persons who would go and keep the flow of worship until the pastor comes to deliver the word. And many times, if you are not doing it in the way, and that's where Parker's talking about, does the person delegate? If that person feels that you're not doing it the way they want it to do, they will come down, they will come on and basically take over from you. So there was so much pressure to perform for not God, because you're not performing for God, but you're performing for this person. And because you were so worried that it's embarrassing to be on a platform, to have the leader come take over from you. And nobody wanted that. And it got to the point where persons did not want to do after worship anymore. They didn't want to be on the roster or the schedule because it was so intimidating. It was not the joy of going up there and helping to continue usher persons into God's presence because now we were at the point of not sending praises and worship up to God. We were there now performing for our leader. And that's when we think about delegating is that if you're going to delegate what you call after worship, delegate it and let persons do it according to how God is leading them because how God is leading them is not how God would lead you. So We don't want to be many them. We want to be reflective of God. We want to be reflective of the Holy Spirit that he has deposited in us. This is a just beautiful aspect of the story is that you really do break down what's going on. Now, this story is written in a semi-fictional manner. I should let the listeners know because it's not really a fictional book as much as a book instructing you on how you can recognize toxic leadership in your church and what you can do about it and why it should matter to you, because you may not be the personal target of a toxic or abusive leadership, but someone else you know is. And for some of us, we don't want the bullseye to be a target on our backs. And so we may just say, hey, has nothing to do with me. But the Lord that call us to be passive in this thing. He calls us to be change agents, if you will. And so there's a lot going on in this story. He's saying a story, but it's actually an instruction book. And go ahead and pick up your copy. Here's the thing. When you get your copy, it's free today. Okay, so she's going to make it free for you. It's free today. 
So make sure you go ahead and download your copy today on it. So the other signs of spiritual abuse, we said, do you have to ask, does he or she delegate? Are leaders cloned? Is culture cloned? How do you feel? Are you free to speak? Is he or she ignorant? Is he or she humble? So those are just some of the eight questions that you can ask yourself if you are part of a church organization that has spiritual abuse. And I'm really glad that we're talking about this, Kathy, because some people may not be aware of that. And we see all these scandals happening in different churches, different denominations, and we're going, how come you didn't see it? Because they didn't see it. They didn't know what to look for. And this brings me to a point I want to talk about is the environment. So we talk about the leaders and many leaders who are spiritual abusers are narcissistic. It revolves around them. And you give some, I don't want to use the word great examples, but you give some rather illustrative examples of what that narcissism looks like. But we want to talk about the environment and then we're going to end with the followers. How does the environment help to continue the cycle of spiritual abuse? Okay. So one of the things with reference to the environment is that anytime you have organization, and let's say here we're talking about a church, that the pastor is the de facto final decision maker. Ultimately, you know, there's nobody to appeal, especially in independent churches, there's nobody to appeal above that particular individual. So where there is no, I want to say oversight, this lends itself to creating this toxic kind of environment because the pastor becomes the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, whoever becomes the end all be all. So what happens sometimes in these environments? Remember I said, and when we think of organizations, we think about persons coming in with their different skills, their different abilities, their different aspirations. And the same thing with church. There are some persons who want to claim the what I would call the church ladder, you know, they want to see themselves as a deacon, as a minister, as a pastor, or whatever role they want to see themselves holding in church. And one of the things that whenever start to look, whenever they start to be cliques in a church, then that starts to create, help contribute further to that toxic environment because it becomes a them versus us culture. Good. So you start to have this inner group and this inner group tries to protect that persons who get into it. And everybody now is trying to get into that particular inner group. So persons start to carry gossip. Persons start to carry news. You start to have division in the church. And all of this tends to lend to a toxic environment inside the church. And I see that over and over again. So when there is that lack of good governance within a church, when there are cliques being formed and, you know, certain people are being invited to certain events and other persons are being excluded, that lends to that toxic environment because ultimately, because as human beings, most persons want to get into that inner circle and the leader, and I talk about that in the book, and the leader takes pride in knowing that they're persons who want to get into that inner circle and would abuse them because they know they're going to take the level of abuse. They're going to take being shouted at. They're going to be take it all because they're hoping eventually to get into that inner circle. Right. So those kinds of things lend to toxic environments. And there's something that I highlighted in the book and I want 
to mention it is because ultimately, and many of us stay in these environments, and I know there are persons that have left and there are persons that remain, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we do have the power, and we don't recognize that we as individuals have the power in those kinds of environments, because if we sit down and we accept it, it means that we're basically condoning that behavior. But we're condoning the behavior with the hope and the aspiration that somehow we are going to get into that inner circle. And on page 60, I said this, the people had the power, if only they had realized it, to confront his behaviors. Once clarity of thought tends to be hindered by being on the inside, being in that toxic kind of environment. But when you are outside looking in, you can fully see that you were indeed not powerless, but you allow the environment to hinder you. It just brings to mind just how integrated these elements of this triangle are. And we often see the triangle just as a shape. We think of the Trinity, but when you really start to put a visual context of behavior and of problematic areas when it comes to toxic leadership, you see how it all is interconnected with the other. And I want you to go into the followers and I want to end on this note only because we can always put the blame on the leader and it should be because the leader is the one who is the head of the organization, whether in church or outside of church. However, it's the followers who don't realize that they have the power to be change agents in that leadership there because a person can't be a leader if there's no one following them. If there's no one following them, they're just crazy people, right? <laughs> but if someone is following them, then you have the independent thought to say, hey, I've got to say something. I've got to do something. I've got to bring this to that particular leader's attention and then make a decision from there. So let's go ahead and talk about the followers here. So we're going to talk about the followers. And I just want to remind persons the aspects of the triangle. So we have the leader. We have the toxic environment. We have in the middle the ideology. And now we're to the susceptible followers. So as I said, this is God's revelation to me. And if we look at this destructive triangle, we would, and we look at susceptible followers, we're only going to see two types. We're going to see conformers and we're going to see colluders. That's what we're going to see. And the one thing about being an academic is that I could take a framework and I can add to it. And, and I'm adding to it as God showed me. So this week, I had a conversation because the Holy Ghost pricked me about a young lady that when I transitioned, she remained. And all last year, you know, she was in my spirit. And I go like, I don't ever want to bring up about the theology at the church. I don't ever want anybody to think that I'm asking anybody to leave the church or anything like that. Um, but it was like, if God said, you know, you got out, you know, the teaching is not solid in terms of it does not line up with the scripture. And funny enough, we had a conversation this week to find out she's no longer there. And it was such a relief to my spirit because I knew God was asking me about her. And she's gone through all of these stages. 
the first stage that God showed me. So the academics would start with either you're a conformer or you're a colluder. But what God showed me is first you're clouded. That means you are in this toxic environment and you don't know the environment is toxic. Good. You are clouded. There's skills on your eyes and you're just happy going along and you know, you're happy. Everything's okay. You might see people leaving and you can't figure out why people are leaving the church. But as far as you're concerned, you are just there praising the Lord and you are good. Now, they become a point where those skills come off. And when those skills come off, you have three options. Good. Either you can be a conformer. And a conformer is, is like, well, I can see all of this that's going on around me, but you know what? They ain't bothering me or my family. So he's up there and he's talking down to somebody else or he's shouting and belittling some person, but it doesn't bother me. So, and that's a conformer. A conformer is you see what is going on and you're not going to speak up about it. And then there is the colluder. There's those persons that are going to encourage, that are going to say, you know what? Yes, you were right to speak about that, or this is what we can do to this particular individual. or And because the colluder is now in the inner circle. So you have either your clouded, either your conformer, either a colluder. And one of the things that I was honest about in terms of the book, in terms of speaking through the lens of Zaire, is that I was all three. I was all three. And I remember when I sent this book to a pastor to read it, he said, Kathy, one thing I like about the book is real, because if you had penned this book without acknowledging that you were all three of these at some point in time, then it would not have done the book justice. And the reality is that I can look back and say, yes, I was all three. And, but, and the other thing, Parker, is that when God spoke to me about leaving. I didn't leave right away, you know. God spoke to me about writing the book. I wrote the book afterwards. But it took me a while to leave because I was still praying for the church. I was still praying for the leaders. And it was a place where I functioned at the highest level. So it was not easy to leave. But I had to get to the point, am I going to worry about what man is going to say or am I going to obey God? And what I did, because as I said, I was leading ministries, ordained pastor and everything. I gave three months notice and said that I was going to be transitioning. And at the end of the day, ultimately, I had to make the decision to follow God. So when we are environments, whether it's a work environment, whether it is a church environment, whether it is a organization, and there's something that is going on that is not right, we need to pause and we need to see, are we part of the problem, right? Are we contributing to it? Because we like to point fingers, but sometimes we need to look at ourselves to see, how am I contributing to this? And most often we are playing either major part or small part. And sometimes, you know, I'm going to end with this. And I remember the beginning of that year because God was speaking to me. A bishop spoke to me and he said to me, your mere presence, not knowing, you know, God was already speaking to me and whatever. But he said, your mere presence of being there support and condones 
that behavior because of who you are and how people see you. And, you know, and that always resonated with me. And so it is something that we should not take lightly. And I honestly always tell God, I want to hear you at hello. And there are times that I did not hear God at hello. And I thought I could have prayed it away. And I remembered even up to the time when I was thinking of leaving and, and I knew I had already given in my notice. I remember I talk about that thing called ideology. Again, a big vision was being shaped and cast and everything. And I was going like, but I'm going to be missing out on this. I'm not going to be part of this. And you know what? COVID hit and none of it ever materialized. And God always sees down the road. And ultimately, God just wants us to walk in obedience. But anytime that you are questioning yourself to think, am I in a toxic environment? Most often, we already know the answer. And I can't think of a better way to end today's show. What I really hope, dear listener, is that you gain some insight into spiritual abuse in the church. But I really hope that you don't, and I have to say it like this, Kathy, correct me where I'm wrong. I don't want you to blame God for it because God is not a God of chaos and turmoil. He's the one who's going to help us out of chaos and turmoil. We go to church because we get our strength, inspiration, we learn education, we meet with like-minded people. We want to make sure that you don't blame God for what people do. And I think that's a good place, a good way to look at it. So I want to thank you, Kathy, for being with us on the show today for this wonderful book, Derailed, Toxic Leadership in the Pulpit. It's available for free. Yes, it's going to be for free. And the other thing, Parker, as we get ready to wrap up, one of the things is wholeness. At the end of the day, when you come out of that environment, God is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. And there is nothing that God can't heal us from. And he is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. And once we walk in that, know that God has us. He has our back. He has our front. He has our side. And God can bring us true healing. Thank you so much, Kathy, for being with us on the show today. Really enjoyed having you. Love that you gave us that nugget of peace and nugget of compassion that at the end of the day with spiritual abuse, there is wholeness because God is going to give it to you. So thank you so much, Kathy, for saying that. And dear listener, go ahead, pick up your copy today. It's for free. Derail Toxic Leadership in the Pulpit, available on Amazon. Go ahead. Pick it up today. Learn if you are in this situation, what you can do and how you can be proactive in not being a victim of spiritual abuse. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. And God bless.